0: And Welcome to The Predictor Podcast, a podcast that talks about the unpredictability of sport and life. Each week, we delve into the journey of our guests, discussing their past, present, and unearthing their predictions for the future. Join me, Paul Furness, and Scott Taylor as we explore the role sport has to play in tackling the challenges of everyday life. Here we go for another episode of The Predictor. Joining us on this episode of the Predictor podcast is former Coventry, Liverpool, Wigan and England goalkeeper Chris Kirkland. Chris tells us how an unexpected turn of events gave him his first taste of goalkeeping. He reveals the best players he has played with throughout his career and explains just how important the player-coach relationship is. You can find out more about the charity work that Chris is involved in by clicking on the link in the episode's description. Here we go for another episode of The Predictor.
1: First of all welcome uh, Chris to The Predictor podcast Um I'm with myself Scott Taylor and, and Paul Furness. Uh, first of all h- how are you how's your week been?
2: Busy yeah um, trying to keep active uh, this week's been a bit different I've had a, I've got an infection in my shin so I've not been able to go out walking at all which so yeah knocked me sideways a little bit Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday so I don't know how it's happened but yeah, I've not been able to be walking, which is frustrating, especially when the weather was like it is the last couple of days. But yeah, trying to keep busy. The you know the weeks are seem to be going a little bit quicker, and hopefully we we're, we're not too far away now from coming back to some kind of normality.
1: As uh, as the announcement on Monday giving you a bit of a lease of life and being able to look look forward and be positive about what's coming in the future.
2: Hopefully, yeah. I mean we've been taking it day at a time because you just don't know you don't know what can happen. And we hope that everything that they've said goes to plan, but. Yeah, try not to get too ahead of ourselves and, and just trying to take each day as it comes and, you know, we'll get out of it when, when we get out of it, sort of thing. Which, yeah, it's, I mean, when you look back already and it's nearly been a year, you, you can't believe it's, you know, that, that even though it's been a horrendous, tough year, for a year to go by already, it's, uh, it's amazing, really.
1: Yeah, and no, everyone wouldn't have predicted, obviously, what's, uh, what's happened in, in the past uh, 12 months or so. One um, of the questions that we ask our guests uh, right from the start, really. Um, are, you, uh, are you someone that, that is, uh, is a predictor? Are you someone that likes to predict um, in terms of yourself personally and, and in, your, uh, in your experiences of, of playing?
2: I like a routine, if that's what you mean. Yeah, I like, uh, yeah, I like to know what I'm doing. I like to uh, have things set out. But at the minute, it's just literally the next day. Um, obviously, when you played football, you sort of had a, a longer-term plan, you know, leading up to games, obviously, the following week or whatever. But at the minute, yeah, knowing so tonight, I have a think about what, what we're doing tomorrow. And, yeah, I like to know, know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't like to just get up in the mornings and see what happens, which drives my wife mad sometimes. And my daughter, <laughs> but That's just the way I am. I think that's through the football, though. You, you do it for 19 years. You're told where to be, where to train. You know, days off, everything like that. So you, your life's pretty much ran for you, and it's hard to get out of that that routine.
1: One of the things that we do on the uh, on the Predictor podcast, I don't know if you've seen it on our social media or not, or not but we uh, we do something called the Predictor Challenge, where we've got five different fixtures uh, across a number of different sports, and we'd like to get our guests uh, and put them to the test in terms of their predictions. Yeah. So uh, we'll go through them one by one, and, and hopefully you can uh, get, a fi- we've got five fixtures, so hopefully five correct answers. So go one on. of the first fixtures that we've got, and one of your old teams, uh, Wigan Athletic, who are at home to uh, MK Dons, what are your predictions for that one?
2: They had, they had a good win the other night, didn't they, um, uh, Wigan? Obviously, I don't know how MK got on Don's did the other night, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go I'm gonna go for the Wigan win there. They need to win desperately, and I think on the back of a good midweek win, I'm going to go 2-0 to Wigan.
1: I suppose you've got some really good memories of, of yourself at Wigan? You've got some, still got some friends at Wigan at the football
2: No, club? to be honest, there's a lot moved on now. I think Julie, probably one of the ladies in, in behind the scenes, she's probably still one of the only ladies there, but. Yeah, I was there six years. Probably the best I have played in from two thousand and six to two thousand and ten during my career. Um, you know, made some some very good friends there off the pitch as well. With some of the lads and socialised a lot as as families. So, uh, but yeah, like most things in football, you know, people move on and you keep in touch, but you do lose touch with certain people. But obviously, still live 10, 15 minutes away from Wigan, so always look out for the results. The uh,
1: the second fixture we've got is Man City versus Man United, so the, the Manchester Derby. What are your thoughts about that one?
2: You just can't see anyone stopping City, can you? I mean, if there, it, you know, if there was fans possibly at the game, it might make it a little bit more. But I think it that swings it into City's favour a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two nil City as well. 2-0. I think two or three nil. I'll have to give one. Yeah. I'll go two nil City. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just on that, Chris. Obviously, two massive clubs, massive stadiums. Just lo- looking back at your career. Are there any stadiums in particular that you played in that you sort of you
2: really enjoyed playing at or some that you really feared going to? I mean when when Man U had the team of like Beckham, Scholes, Giggs, you know, Old Trafford, Roy Keane, that was that was pretty intimidating, you know, if you if you come out there with sometimes, you know, not not getting beat by too many, you're quite happy. Um, <laughs> you know, same as at same as Anfield when Liverpool were rocking and uh, but I used to love playing at Fratton Park as well, P- Portsmouth, even though it's not the biggest ground. The atmosphere is just incredible down there. Um, but probably the most hostile and most atmosphere of it is uh, the Allianz Stadium in um, Galatasaray, the old stadium, not yeah. the new one now. The new one. That was That's probably the loudest I've heard uh, any football match. They were just, they were fanatical, but brilliant as a kid to go there and play.
0: And it affect your performance that much if a crowd is hostile or... Do you learn over time to sort of block it out?
2: Yeah, it comes with experience. I mean, you can go through some games and you don't even hear the crowd. It's weird, you know, because you're that focused and you're that much in your zone. You sort of like put the mute button on. But if you want to hear the fans, if you let yourself hear them, then yeah, you can. It can put you off sometimes. Obviously, when you're getting abused and stuff like that, which nobody likes. But yeah, you've got to be. You've got to be pretty strong you know, thick-skinned and, and try and block things out. Uh, but it's great. I mean, listen, when your team's winning and, you know, it's coming to the end of the game and, you know, it's particularly Anfield when they're singing, you'll never walk alone. It's, it just boosts you on even more. It just gives you the biggest, biggest still you can imagine.
1: We move on to the uh, to the third fixture. We've got Atletico Madrid versus Real Madrid. So another, another derby. What, what are your thoughts on that one?
2: Yeah, I'm going to go draw in that one. Um, I'm going to go 1-1 one, one draw. You, Do you have uh, any
0: experiences playing abroad, Chris, in terms of other stadiums and other other countries? I played at
2: the Bernabéu. Played at the, but uh, it was in a, it was in a friendly for Liverpool. Uh, we played. There was a tournament at the Bernabéu. It, it was AC Milan, Real Madrid, um, and obviously Liverpool, and we played like a round robin. So yeah, played at the. That was just. I mean, it's just. It's it's like it's it's hard to explain. It's like just straight up. Like, the stadium's just like, honestly, it feels like everyone's oh, like looking on top of you. It's, uh, yeah, an incredible stadium. Uh, been at the uh, new Campo's on the bench, yeah, but that's just huge. The biggest stadium I've ever seen. It just goes on forever. But the Bow is, yeah, the, it's like the fans are looking over you. Um, it's a brilliant stadium.
1: Do you like those other sports? Are you inter- interested in other sports? Because our next fixture is Wasp versus Gloucester in the Rugby Union.
2: Yeah, I used to watch a bit of rugby league. Not too much rugby. obviously watched the with England when the tests used to be on, and, you know, against the All Blacks and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, what's was it again? Wasps and... Wasps versus Gloucester. I mean, I'm not a massive, massive <laughs> fan, but I'm going to go... I'll go with the home team. So, I'll go 24-12 to the home team.
1: We've even got scores as well. I like this Extra points on the Predictor yeah, Challenge. <laughs>
0: if, if any of these scores do, do turn out to be true, I think we'll have an inquiry of some of the betting companies. <laughs> <laughs> They're
2: not bad on these.
1: <laughs> and then the last one, the last fixture in the Predictor Challenge. Um, it's a little bit of a different one we've got this week. It's the NBA All-Star game, which is uh, Team LeBron versus Team Durant. Are you a big basketball fan? Are you interested in basketball? like basketball,
2: yeah. I'm gonna go Lebron, Team Lebron. There, yeah. I do, uh, I do like watching it. I mean, it's on late sometimes. Only over, obviously, I watch the catch ups and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I pretty much like all sports: golf, cricket. Yeah. Um, you know, pr- pretty much watch them all. Uh, I used to go down and watch the Warriors a lot when they were at, obviously, at Wigan when they were the, you know, the, the team and stuff like that. So I did a, a Zoom cast, the, a podcast actually, the other day with. Um, the, the England manager now uh, the old Wigan Warriors manager as well so Sean Wayne so yeah, yeah I do. I did like the, going down to the Warriors
1: Who's your uh, who's your NBA team who, who would you be your uh, choice
2: Lakers 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 or the Bulls <laughs> yeah
1: Fair enough thanks uh, thanks for us I appreciate that and uh, hopefully they all, they all come right and uh, be successful on the love. Predictor Challenge <laughs> <laughs> I'm never yeah.
2: normally am so don't hold your breath <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget,
0: you can join in the fun and take part in the Predictor Challenge all for free. 5 selected sporting fixtures for you to predict every week with monthly prizes up for grabs. Check out our Twitter at PredictorPod and Instagram to get involved. Have you got what it takes to top the leaderboard and be the undisputed Predictor? What we do with all, I guess, mate, is we go right back to the start. And just to start with, uh, did you predict when you were younger that you'd have the career that you ended up having?
2: I was always confident I was going to be a footballer, um, but I mean, that's I think that's more of a hope when you're a kid, isn't it? You want to be a footballer, um, but I had to, I had to work hard. I mean, I was an outfield player to start, What well, I think not go and go until I was 13 and a half, um. So, and then things progressed pretty quickly there. But yeah, I was never, I mean, I was never nought at school, but I didn't really have any interest at school, didn't didn't get any grades, which I regret now. I always tell that to, to kids nowadays, get your grades first, because the amount of footballers that don't make it is, you know, the percentage is very, very small that do. So I always say that, get your grades. And, you know, hopefully if you don't make it as a footballer, you can fall back onto a, you know, a decent job. Um, but yeah, things moved quickly when I got to Cov. And I made my debut when I was 18. And then, I mean, you never think you've made it. I never, even when I was in my 30s, you never think you've made it uh, as a footballer because you can get brought, brought down to earth pretty quick. So, but yeah, it went, it, it went so quick, the career. I mean, 19 years, just, I mean, I can remember my debut as though it was yesterday. Um, but yeah, it's, um, looking back now, it's, yeah, managed to have a pretty decent career, which I'm happy about. I mean, I should have played a lot more games, particularly for Liverpool. I had a lot of injuries when I was at Liverpool. Um, so I probably should have, you know 150 games probably short of where I should have been and probably should have got a couple of more England caps as well if I'm being honest uh, but there were some brilliant goalkeepers around it's just unfortunate when I did get a chance I've, I've got serious injuries so but you can't listen you can't have regrets the Liverpool one I get asked that all the time about the injuries but I'd do it all again just to play one game it's my team you know my first game was when I was seven years old up to Anfield standing in the cop. so uh, yeah I've got you know, I've got no regrets, but I always tell them now, all kids, just to make sure you enjoy every second of it. You know, even when it's cold, even when it's wet, and you know, they go, oh, I don't want to train tonight, just relish every second of it.
0: Obviously, somebody who did predict it was uh, that famous story about your dad and his mates putting a bet on that you'd play for England. Yeah. You know, obviously, that's quite a well known story now, but just if you would
2: talk us through it briefly about that. Well, to, I never knew. What yeah. I mean, I was an outfield player, I was never any good, but I was always on the bench as an outfield player. Um, and the goalkeeper that was playing got injured and because I was the only one on the bench I had to go in goal and uh, made a couple of saves the goalkeeper broke his arm so he was going to be out for the rest of the season so the manager said look you've done well today will you play in goal for us so uh, yeah and then it was after that game we tried it my dad more straight away that week put a bet on me to play for England in goal before I was 30 after my first game in goal and I never knew about the bet until two I think it was the day before the, my England debut when when it got wind I was going to come on at some point and, and play in the game. And that's when I got asked the question, but I had no idea. So I had to ring my dad after and said, look, so I've been asked this, is it true? And he says, yeah, it is true. He says, well, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the game and and you know let the rest take care of itself. So, yeah, I never, never knew, never told me. Just kept the slip in the, underneath his, <laughs> his, one of his drawers for about, yeah, what well, had that been, 14, so 26, 12 years, he must have. Yeah, been in his drawer for 12 years, the better. Wow.
1: Good job he didn't leave it in his jeans or anything. Put him in the wash, oh, no, he,
2: he had a little secret stash in his in his wardrobe. Yeah, he knew exactly where it was.
1: Well, yeah, we yeah, we spoke to someone that that I think uh, knows you quite well actually. Um, Mr. Paul Reynolds. We spoke to him and he spoke very highly of you, especially when obviously he coached you and and worked with you. And he Leicester. said that you you're, you're a very humble. You're a very humble person, and and he's very proud of what you what you did. Uh, in your career. Uh, and you also mentioned about Steve Grisevic and, and how much of a role model he was to you. Just talk us through that and, and, and what he gave you as a as a person, as a player as well.
2: Yeah, well, I've actually missed a call off him. i am not calling him back today yet. So <laughs> but he was. I was lucky. I mean, always, that's nice of Paul as well. Obviously, worked with Paul down at Leicester. Always kept in touch with him. He's a great guy. Really nice guy. Always there for advice. Dead enthusiastic. Coaching kids. And that's why I think we, we got on so well. Um, but yeah, with Oggy, it was, that's, it's always set the tone for my career because I worked with him when I, I was training at Leicester and Coventry when I was 15, coming up to 16. Obviously with Paul at Leicester and, and Oggy at Coventry and just struck up a relationship, just seeing the way he was, seeing the way he conducted himself. Seeing the, and then when I signed for the youth team at Cov, it was because of that relationship. All my, all my family were Leicester fans. I was a Liverpool fan, but they were Leicester fans, but I signed for Coventry just because of the rapport I had with Oggy um he was first choice goalkeeper then when I went signed in the youth team just seeing the way he trained seeing the way he dedicated himself the way he spoke to people that set the tone and I just thought that's the way you have to be to be a footballer and and a human being as well so I was lucky to have him as uh, from an early age and Jim Blythe, my goalie coach as well we we were really close-knit all three of us and yeah that set the tone for me for the rest of my career which I'm very lucky to have.
1: Is it important to have that, obviously, that relationship with your goalkeeping coach? You know, you you see a lot of clubs now that are invested in, you know, more so foreign goalkeeping coaches and obviously the English goalkeepers and that relationship. How how important was it for you? Um, And also probably throughout your goalkeeping career that that relationship was built?
2: Yeah, vital with Oggy. I mean, that's the way I was brought up. Hard work, repetitions. You know, that's what got me the move to Liverpool. And then when I was at Liverpool, Joe Corrigan was there. You know, Man City, great, and he was just just as the same as Oggy, same as Jim Blythe, worked Zaka exactly the same, probably harder actually. Um, but then when Joe, when um, Gerard Hillier left, Rafa Benitez bought a Spanish goalie coach, and it just changed everything. It changed the dynamics. Uh, couldn't speak English. His training was just it was it was non-existent. It, you know, you could come off the training pitch not doing anything, not sweating or anything. Just everything that I'd been brought up just complete flip of it. So that's when I really struggled um, and ended up having to leave Liverpool, went to Wigan where there was an English goalie coach in Nigel Spink and Gary Walsh. Things clicked back straight away. And then at Wigan, when Martinez came and he bought a Spanish coach, a goalie coach in again and things just, yeah, went backwards again. It's just, you know, being bought the English way and then being told that, particularly Rafa, I mean, Rafa told me not to, he didn't want me catching anything, he wanted me to punch everything, just, just complete. And I knew it weren't going to end well. So it was, yeah, it was chalk and cheese between the two. Um, you know, nice guys, but just it's about it's about the player that's got to play. It's not about what the coach thinks is best. Yes, the manager sometimes, but you know, I was I was remember telling them saying, Look, I need more work, I'm not I'm not training hard enough here. And they'll say, No, you do as we say. And so there's a fine line, it's about the key, you know, it's about the players that have got to play, they're the ones that have got to go out on the pitch. And if they're telling you, look, I need more work, it's not as I was saying, look, no, I don't want to train. You know, I was telling them completely the opposite. I wanted more work. And yeah, them two times ended up ended up having to leave. Was that was Nigel Spink? Was he at Villa? So, so it was Gary Walsh with Paul Jewell first at Wigan. And then Steve Bruce come in and Spinksy come with Steve Bruce to Wigan. If you've got a keeper who's played at the top level, goalkeeper coach, how much do you
0: ask them or pick their brains about their experiences on the field and then their experiences off the field. If he's played in the English game, you can relate to his experiences a little bit more?
2: Yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, obviously, when the the Spanish Chaps comes in, they have never played in the English league, which is totally different to playing in Spain. I mean, I I don't know if I could go out and play in Spain, but I'm obviously used to the English way. So, yeah, when they come over and they try and implicate that style, it, it doesn't work for me. Every time in England, we've seen people struggle and, then they go back to the, to the original style. And, and that's what happened with me when I went to Wigan and then when I had to leave there and went to Sheffield Wednesday, I worked with Andy Rhodes, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, and things just clicked straight back in again. But it was tough. It was it was really tough because you can see yourself going backwards and not as sharp and going into games not as sharp. And eventually you come unstuck and, and you lose your form and you get dropped. It's as simple as that. So it's, yeah, it was unfortunate, but, you know, I'm not the only player that's been through and I won't be the last.
0: We've had a we've had a question on sort of talking about past coaches, past managers. We've had a question on Twitter from Matt Waters. He's asked, "What was it like playing under Gerard Julio at Liverpool?"
2: Yeah, amazing. He was, um, yeah, a special guy. You know, a huge loss a few weeks ago. Obviously, when we when we when we lost him, I went to his memorial at Anfield actually, which was a really tough day. But yeah, he was just. It gave me my dream. You know, he, my dream was to play for Liverpool, support him as a kid, and. You know he gave me my dream, so always, but just the way he was, as well, the way he spoke to you, the way he, he approached you, but not just you, your family, as well. Always asking how your family were, always asking how Leona was. And then, I mean, Lucy wasn't born when I was in Liverpool, but then when we've seen him in the past, he, he knew Lucy's name, even though he'd never met her before. Um, so he, he was just a special guy and a, and a top manager, as well. His team talks were just. The had on the edge of your seat, particularly before like a European game or one at Anfield and stuff. He was just, yeah, he used to love being in his meetings and listening to his team talks, just had this way. He, he wasn't the biggest person in the world, but it's as though he was like 50 foot tall just because of the presence he had. He was, uh, yeah, he's going to be greatly missed by a lot of people. I know a lot of, a lot of players were, were very fond of him.
1: Best manager you played under?
2: Him and and Steve Bruce, yeah two yeah. totally
1: different managers yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah. Totally man different. management though man management styles Yeah, pretty you know pretty similar you could go and Bruce he was always there you could go and talk to him you know about anything really and certainly Gerard Hullier as well so as man management and you how they treat players they treat them properly you know they don't mm. dig them out um, in front of people or in the press like we, we see certain managers do and you ask anybody that's played under them and not one, even manager will say they've had a problem with them. Not one one player.
0: We've just heard about like the best manager you've played under. We're going to ask now four things. Best goalkeeper that you've played with, best defender, best midfielder, best striker, that, you know, throughout your career, in your opinion, who's the person in those positions that you thought, wow, they are they're yeah. special?
2: I mean, I, I trained with David Seaman when I was with England when I was young. And he was, yeah, he was, he was just made things look so easy. He just caught everything, his body, body movement, everything. Just made the easy things look easy and the hard things look easy. Um, so, yeah, probably him, Peter Schmeichel as well, obviously, for his Manu days. Best defender I've played with? Probably going to have to say Sammy Hippier. Yeah, when he was at, when he was at Liverpool, he was just, yeah, I mean, I think they bought him for two million. You bought him these days, you're talking over 100 million like Van oh, dyke Um, but yeah, they need him,
1: they need him now, don't they?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they uh, had him in him and Stefan Encho were the centre backs, and them two were a brilliant partnership. Yeah. So As underrated. A keeper, right?
0: As a keeper, how important is it to have confidence in the centre arts that are playing in front of you? Because well, like, so you watch some games and if if it's a new partnership or if a young centre-half, goalkeepers sometimes, that that affects their performance quite a lot in terms of the confidence they've got coming out for things. Or
2: Yeah, you look at, I mean, look at the situation with Liverpool now. You know, the the defence is, what is it, 12, 13 different partnerships. You know, you go back to when they won the league in the Champions League, that that five very rarely changed. And that's the one unit in your team, if you're going to be successful, the one unit in your team you need to play together regular and, and, you know, hardly any changes, if possible, is a defence. All the teams over the years, Man U, Arsenal when they dominated, Chelsea when they dominated, you know, the back five was pretty similar most games and uh, which allows obviously forward players to, to go and do what they want. So yeah, that's the most important and we've seen it with Liverpool this year. You know, if if, if they didn't have the injuries they've had, they'd be a, certainly a lot closer to retaining the title than, than they are at the minute. I mean, it's no coincidence that obviously they've
0: lost Van Dijk, they've lost Gomez, you know, they've not had that that regular partnership and You've right. coincided there with Allison probably going through his worst spell in English football in terms of his performance. Yeah. So, I don't think it's a coincidence that them two no. things are happening at the same time. No, so, what, what about midfield then? Who's the uh, who was the one player? I think I'd guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, think, I think I'm going to say as, yeah. <laughs> say yeah. as well. Mr.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, without a doubt, yeah. I mean, when him and Xavier Alonso were in the, the midfield partnership, there wouldn't have been too many me- better midfields. But yeah, him, play, you know, played with and against him. You'd rather play with him than against him, <laughs> that's for sure. Has he, yeah, he surprised yeah, you everything. about
1: Rangers? Has he surprised you about no, uh, Rangers?
2: No, no, because I've seen a lot. I mean, obviously, when he played, the you know, his, his attitude, his training, just trained the way he played, played the way he trained him and Jamie Carragher. You don't stay at a club for 17 years hmm. if hmm. you're not... You know, on it every single day. And and obviously, when he was in Liverpool under 18s manager there, uh, they went nearly enough unbeaten. I think they won the league under him, actually, as well. I'm pretty sure they did. So, no, it doesn't surprise me. But it, again, he's got a great team around him, though, as well. Yeah. You know, he's, got, he's picked the right people around him. And you, to be a successful manager, you've got to have your right team around you, uh, staff wise. But yeah, no, he'll be back at Liverpool one day, I'm sure, as as the manager in the future. And
1: you was going coach.
2: Before be, <laughs> be nice forward best forward that you've played with I mean I, I'm going to say Michael uh, Michael Owen obviously when you know when he was in his pom um, him and, and the other one's emileski and people might be people this is what I'm always me about him until so you actually play with him and you know what he does for your team you know he used to get a lot of stick but you ask Michael who's best partner he ever played with and it's Emileski yeah. I was at Wigan with Esk and at Liverpool with him, and he would be one of my f- first names on the team sheet just for what he gives the team, you know, on and off the pitch. Um, but yeah, Michael, when he was when he was on fire, yeah, he was, uh, training in games, he was just unstoppable. His pace over ten yards was he was gone.
1: Do you think um Do you think Emile would play in this generation, this era? Because obviously, the, the teams at the top at, very tend to go towards the the false nine and it, would it, would he become the player he was?
2: In no, I mean, if he played for like a Brucey you now or something like that, yeah, if, if he was at Newcastle and, you know, you, you, it's got to suit your team. The pressing game, I mean, Hess was fit, probably didn't suit him. You know, they're asking, obviously, the Liverpool lads up top now have got to work, you know, work, Hess could do it. Could he do it as well as them lads there now? Probably not. But it's a different, you know, Hess is, but he played centre-back sometimes for Wigan as well. And he was just in, oh yeah, he was incredible at centre-back as well, just didn't get beat at the pace. But yeah, he, he's, he's a special player and a special person as well.
0: Chris, one thing that we wanted to ask you is obviously you're a player who's moved from club to club. One thing that has always intrigued me is when you're signing for a new club, just what actually is or what goes on as part of that medical process?
2: Good question. Yeah, I'm not going to ask that one, actually. There you go. There's a first. There you go. Yeah, we're trying to mix it up a
0: little bit, mate.
2: Yeah, it is a good question. Well, I'll talk about the Liverpool move. So the Liverpool move, I knew about it six months before, really. So I was getting calls off because Gary McAllister was back training with Coventry while his wife was ill. Uh, He was still at Liverpool, but he came back down because he still lived in the Midlands. So he's gone back up, said to Gerrard, look, you've got to to take a look at this lad. So he, he was ringing me saying, look, they're rather lucky; they're going to sign your next window, but it was still like six months away from the next window. So I was thinking, well, it's probably not a lot of things can happen in six months. Mm. But anyway, a few days, then he just kept ringing every couple of weeks, and then the window opened. Then and he says, "Right, they're going to we're going to sign you near enough at the end of the window." Um, so this was two or three weeks before. So again, you're thinking, "Well, they think might change their mind." But then a couple of days before, I said, "Right, get your bag, bags packed. The bit you know, the bid's going to come in on this day." And we're going to need you to drive straight up to Anfield, straight up to Liverpool. So this was on the Friday. I think the window shut on the on the Saturday, or vice versa, or whatever it was. So we literally got the call, big got accepted. Uh, it was tough leaving Coventry because you know it was a, I didn't want to leave home more than anything. I've always been a home person, but the pull of Liverpool and supporting them was just too much. So we we, we drove straight up. Went up with uh, Jim Bly, I've actually, come up with his my dad. Uh, my uncle and my girlfriend, then wife, now Leona and my agent, we all drove up to Liverpool. Got up there quite late on the Thursday night. About 10 o'clock I got up there um, because the bid didn't come in till like five o'clock, half five. So by the time I got my stuff, got up there, it was about 10 off, 10. Went straight for, straight to the hospital. So I literally got to the hotel. My family uh, checked in. The physio, uh, Dave Galley, met me. And then we went straight off to the hospital. I was in the hospital till probably two in the morning. Uh, just sat in a scanner basically for about three hours they just scanned your whole body um so you end up just falling asleep in the scanner so then I got back to the hotel about three in the morning uh got picked up first thing about eight o'clock next morning straight to Melwood I'd like a different part of the medical where they just check all your joints and you know like a physical medical then you do all the talks and everything like that get the contract sorted out so it's quite a long process, like it's 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 quite a long process, and then I signed on deadline day and it was international weekend, so there was no games. So then I've gone back down to Leicester, got all my gear and went back up again on the Sunday night, and that's it, it was still up here twenty years is, later. Is there any area.
0: is there any part of the medical that, that looks at a player's sort of mental well being or their Yeah, because you know, the I think mean, there's more
2: now. There'll be more now, back then, yeah. Though. No, uh, yeah, it's, no. Back then, I mean, you get asked how you are, but no, I can't remember any any mental health questions. Definitely not. I'm sure there is now. Um, yeah, you know. Then when I, you know, when I went left, uh, Liverpool went to Wigan. Just I was up for a wedding in Scotland. Paul ran said, look, I want you here. Um, come back down and sign for us." And I said, "Well, I will, but I've got to go see his wedding first. <laughs> so, yeah, so I went to the wedding and then drove back down and signed. But yeah, once once you're in the building, it's it's. I mean, that was it, Liverpool. That. I mean, at Wigan, I, I went for scans as well. Some clubs don't; they'll just, you know, they'll they'll know your history or they'll they'll check yeah. the last scans you've had. And but most of the time, if you go into a huge club, they, they check everything, uh, medical everything, or uh-huh. your history. But they also now they they find about what your personal life's like: are you married? Are you got kids? Uh, so it's more about you know what type of person they are. Because then, if clubs are going to sign players, they know they're good players if they're after yeah. them. But it's what they're like off the pitch. That's why Gerard was always he'd love you to be settled down. You know, always because he you knew obviously the trappings of Liverpool, some of the lads got caught in it and particularly down in London as well, the bright lights of London. So yeah. a lot of managers likely to be pretty settled now.
0: So we've had a question from Joel about mentality. I mean, me and Scott both play with Joel and honestly, some of the, uh, the howlers that we've seen him have, mate. It's a, it's a wonder <laughs> that he still who's wants that? to play. We've got a lad called Joel Perkins Has asked us a question to ask you. But me and Scott play with him, mate, and honestly, the howlers uh, that he's chucked in, I'm
2: surprised he still it. wants
0: to get out of bed, but he's asked about what <laughs> advice do you have around instilling that mentality and resilience
2: in younger goalkeepers as they're developing? I, listen, I always tell them, look, you're going to make mistakes. If you think you're not going to make mistakes, then you're kidding yourself. As a goalkeeper, you're going to make mistakes. It's how you get over them. You know, it's, if you do make a mistake, make sure your next action, whether it's a shot, you save the next shot, or you come and take the next cross, or you kick the ball better. That's all you can do, but it's it's then about making, you know, the best make fewer mistakes. But, you know, all the kids, that's the, it's a confidence thing with them, but it's, it comes with experience as well. You know, you'll get some kids that are dead shy, but then eventually they'll come out of it, or you get some kids that are dead dead confident, overconfident, which which is the reverse of it, which can set them back as well. So it's all about just keeping them level make sure they enjoy it. Just tell them that they're going to make mistakes. Just try your best the next one, and then it's how they progress. Then the older they get, how they you know how they progress as, as a goalkeeper as a as a player. I mean, like I say, thanks for sharing those past experiences
0: with. If you had to identify or choose one person throughout your past that's
2: helped you get to where you, you got to, who would it be? Oh, I mean, from an early age, obviously, you know my family, obviously as well. Um, you know, my wife's been with me since I've. Since I played, you know, since I was in the youth team at cov so uh, you've, got, you've got to go, say that one.
1: You? You've got yeah, to say no that one. one.
2: Shot I thought I was a land surveyor when we first met. <laughs> so we were, we were out in Spain, and I was only in the youth team. I don't know why I didn't say, lot. I was in the youth team." <laughs> I thought I was a land surveyor, and then we started dating, and then she came down, and she was like, "You don't work long hours, like, do you?" And then, it, and then it all come out then and yeah but she's, she's been with it yeah you, you need I was I'm lucky there right because as I said when I moved particularly when I moved up to Liverpool it all could have gone a lot different but I was settled at home and you know I said we're still still together 20, 20 odd years later so yeah lucky to have her
0: huge thank you to Burton Mind the official partner of the Predictor podcast they will listen give support and fight your corner, as no one should have to face a mental health problem alone. Check out their website, www.burtonmind.co.uk, for more information. Moving on then, present day, obviously we spoke earlier about COVID, the unpredictability, nobody would have seen this coming. How, How have you found
2: it? Uh, this lockdown has been tougher I think because of the weather I think because it's dark early at nights and stuff. I think the first lockdown I mean we never thought we'd be back in this again the first one was you know you thought after that we'd be out of it but it was in the more or less summer months so but yeah yeah, it's been testing There is some days where it's just groundhog day and most days it's just the same you know it's it, yeah it's been tough I don't think anyone will say it's not been um, but you've got to try and keep occupied you know the first few weeks it's it's, it's daunting and it's scary. I remember the first lockdown, you're thinking, wow, what is going on here? And then when reality kicks in, you've just got to try and get through, try and keep yourself busy. I think like, it is the first one we did, all the jet washing, we did the flipping, we did everything in the garden, in the house, painted, deck. stuff would not, to be fair, stuff that I'd probably not done before when I played, um, you know, as bad as that sounds, but did a lot of stuff that I'd never done one, or couldn't have thought, like you can't miss getting injured or up on a ladder and stuff like that when you play. over beans or
1: something like that, that
2: yeah, some I mean, of the stories you've had the, yeah. in the past. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't do yeah. a lot of stuff like that. But yeah, we did a lot of stuff just and then just try to, like now, the, the third lockdown's been hard because of the weather more than anything mm. and the uncertainty. But yeah, hopefully we, we're coming out of it, but it's still going to be a while yet, but I won't say life will go back to normal because it's never normal, but certainly looking forward to just doing the stuff that you know you, you, it's, yeah it's almost like that but this is like we were saying that the day it's almost this has become the norm now yeah, yeah. Exactly. like this has become normal life now which is it's scary to say that because it's just not normal is it but yeah no, I certainly sure. can't wait to go out and do some stuff and meet some friends that's the biggest one I think when being able to go out just around someone's house or out for a meal with some friends and yeah just do do some normal stuff
0: so, so throughout this past year we're quite sort of uh, following your, your social media and whatnot and mm. you know the amount of charity work that you've done over this past year is like amazing and obviously at the moment you, you know you're promoting and being part of Jayden, uh Garthwaite's 100k mm, challenge yeah, so big shout awesome. out to Jaden he's a you know young yeah. lad that's really putting himself out there um, he's oh,
2: done just, great he's done yeah. great first lockdown I was thinking because I, 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 I like being on the go I have to do things I can't just sit still and then, so that's what so the, when we got the first lockdown I thought I've got to come up with something, I've got to do something else, So I'm gonna go mad. So that's when I, I I did the calls. So I said, look, I'll make you know calls or FaceTime calls to mm. so anyone struggling with mental health or goal. I did I did it for goalkeepers first. Like any advice for young kids and stuff like that. Me and my daughter were putting videos on outside training. Yeah. I did it for mental health calls and it helped me as well as you know, suffered with mental health. It helped me big time to to have a focus. So I'd spend two or three hours on the phone to people in the afternoons go for a walk and, you know, just try to put some kind of structure to the day. And then obviously with the walk-ins, brilliant, yeah. So this lockdown, Mm -hmm. I did it again, just in January, I ran quite a few people up. And this one is like, the difference in people this time to one back in March is frightening. Like the deterioration of some people and the mental health of of most people has just gone, yeah, it's, you know, some of the... Some of the calls I've had have been really hard, really tough. And, and a lot of it is, is stuff I don't really know about. So I, I sort of guide them to different services. And But some of the calls have been really hard. Um, but, and then with the Bill, we're trying to do as much as that as we can. And you mentioned Jaden there, he got in touch saying, look, I uh, want to do something for your group. It's a mental health walking Bill group. There's lads in there that have suffered suicide, trauma in their families you know, all sorts of problems, addictions, mental health. So we all come together. We've got two golf days in before COVID and now we're looking to do a lot more. We're meant to be doing Kilimanjaro this July. It's been put back to next July. Mm. So we're still doing coast to coast, hopefully this July, which will be great. And there's a lot of plans going forward. We're looking to do walks up and down the country where people can come and walk with us, where we'll get counsellors, you know, mental health specialists where if people are struggling, they can come and talk to specialists. So there's a lot of plans, but a lot of people now have, like Jaden, we get so many messages off people that uh, just said that they, you know they've never walked before in their life or never done it, but they, they can't get enough of it now. And particularly for the lad people that suffer with injuries, it's so, you know it's low impact and, yeah. and yeah. You know, it's free as well. All well, the gyms are shut now, so you know it was Mark Crosley that really came up with it. He came up with the walkings, brilliant, and knew I walked. I've always walked my dogs, and he rang up and said, "Look, I've got this idea. You know, would you be part of it?" And yeah, jumped on it straight away. But this was pre-COVID, so this was yeah. before COVID. Um, yeah. And obviously,
1: COVID yeah.
2: many things, affected, affected a lot of businesses and, and charities mm-hmm. and stuff, unfortunately. Uh, it's, it's really
0: commendable what the, well, the ex-Pros are part of that and, and what is doing. So, massive oh, hats dude. off to you there. Um, just talking about sort of this past year, we've spoke about Liverpool and their struggles with injuries and stuff. Obviously, Wigan mm-hmm. at the moment, they're in the relegation zone. One thing that I wanted to ask you, mate, is when you're a team in the relegation zone... I, I'm, I'm a stickler for this. About 10, 15 games to go in a season, if your team's going like, to might go up or might go down, i get me, me pen and paper out and look at my fixes left and I think, right we'll get a point there or we'll lose that one. When you were playing, did you did you or any of the players that you played with, did they ever try and predict or look at where you get points for games and stuff like that?
2: Or were they just not asked to try and win every game? No, we just had to take each game as it comes. Um, it's Listen, it's... It's hard at the top, but it trust me, it's far harder at the bottom. When you're going against relegation, you know, if you don't win a league or you don't win a cup, what's the worst that can happen? You, you try and do mm. it again next year. You get relegated, it can ruin clubs. We've seen it. Clubs yeah. just don't recover sometimes. You know, my old club Coventry, you know, thankfully they're back in the championship now, but they've mm. never recovered. We see it with Leeds, you know, a lot of Portsmouth, a lot of teams. So we were very conscious. And it's not it's more about for me and a lot of the lads, it was more about the people that were going to lose their jobs if you got relegated. But it's not really the players that suffer. You know, the players, some players will move on. The players still get paid. Uh, they might have to take a pay cut, but if they go back up, they'll get it back or whatever. But it's yeah. people that have been, been at clubs for years and years, like the heart and soul of these are people that without these people, football clubs don't run. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. You know, without the kitmen, without the secretaries, without. People behind the scenes that nobody knows about—they're the real heart of every club. And when we when we got relegated, Wigan, a lot of people lost their jobs, and it's you know that was the hard thing, knowing that you're responsible for a lot of people's livelihoods, and and that's why you couldn't carry anybody in in the dressing room. If you had anyone that was dead wood, you just had to get rid of them because you're fighting for every game, every point. But no, you just had to take each game as it comes. Obviously, you looked ahead, thinking, oh, sh- you know, whether we've got Liverpool or Man U. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you, you knew you knew the games that you needed to get something from.
0: Ricky, okay, obviously bringing this uh, section to a close. So throughout this past year, the COVID pandemic, who would be one person that you'd say is been the most important to you to get you through this?
2: Just the family, family. wife and daughter. Yeah, we've we've all helped each other, uh, and the dog as well. He's um, yeah, just as a family because you've had to spend it, you know, I, mean, I know a lot of, it's daunting for a lot of people, obviously, I know a lot of people that have really struggled because they are just with the families, but we've always been close-knit, always been very close, you know, together. Uh, we've had arguments, don't get me wrong, you know, we've <laughs> we've, had to go in, yeah, we've had to go in, we've all had to go in separate rooms at times, you know, door upstairs or in the front room, yeah, we've all had had, uh, had to have breathers at certain times, but yeah, we've uh, we've got through it, well, getting through it together. I won't say we got through it yet, but we're we're, we're slowly getting there. Brilliant, mate. Brilliant.
1: Chris, in terms of, uh, when I spoke to Paul Reynolds, I just want to briefly go back to your your charity work. He he called you the goalkeeping version of uh, Marcus Rashford for the charity work that you do. I know that's that's quite high praise. Um, And he also said, and he also said he was going to beat you at the uh, the challenge in terms of the uh, amount of uh, kilometers he's walking and running. So uh, there's a little challenge for he... you there as well.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've not been able to get out this week because I've had that shin infection. Um, so, but before that, I think I was at 170 miles for the for like 20 days or something. So, but I know he does a lot of a lot of work. Um, but yeah, the challenge. I mean, I'm I'm lucky that with the charity stuff. I mean, I'm, I work for Liverpool Foundation now as well. So we do a lot of stuff in in the community. Obviously, a lot of it at the minute's limited to what we can do. Uh, but yeah, I've been going out doing a lot of stuff with them, which they do incredible work. So looking for and people ask me, "Well, why are you not getting back involved in football?" And I am. I do part time stuff at Colne FC. Obviously, that stops at the minute. But for now, I'm, I, I want they, this is the things I want to do. I don't want to go full time in football because I can't do any of the other stuff then. So yeah. you know, for the next how many years, I'm you know Liverpool as, as a club have just been incredible with us. Um, since you know our problems come out they've just, they have just can't do enough for us so yeah for now I'm, I'm delighted to be working with them and doing all the other stuff and yeah, seeing how far we can go with it all
1: Yeah and, and, and what are your predictions for the future and you've just touched on it briefly uh, obviously the charity work and, and the walks and stuff like that what else is on the horizon for, for Chris Kirkland?
2: Uh, like for now I mean I, I, hopefully I can work with the foundation for, for many years to come you know they're they just I mean, I didn't know half the stuff that did. I've lived up in Merseyside for twenty years, and I didn't know half the stuff that did uh, for the community and for you know for every pe- every person up here. There's there's stuff available for people that're struggling and out of work, and you know we've been doing a lot of the food bank stuff. And so I want to work with them for as long as I can, um, and, and still stay involved with football. I've got my own goalkeeper academy that would be starting back up again once we can get back as well. So. You know if that's what my life's gonna be for life for the next 20 30 years I'll take that all day long that would be that would be ideal for me so I don't like I need to do different things um, to keep my mind stimulated so I would take that all day long.
1: What's the future for for goalkeepers you you touched on your goalkeeping academy there earlier you touched on um, the goalkeepers that you've worked the goalkeeping coaches that you've worked under and the people that have, have helped you. What's the future for, for goalkeepers, especially with you know Neuer and and all the Allison
2: and goalkeepers that want to play with their feet? And oh, how's I mean, that going to look longer It all longer depends term? what manager you got. It all depends what managers you got. I mean, it all, you know, it all depends who's, who's your gaffer, uh, what style of play, you know, what plays you've got. You know, when, when we were first at Wigan, Roberto would come in, and he this was back in two thousand and ten, and he wanted us to play out from the back then. So this was ten years. So it's, it's been there. It's only, obviously, since Pep's come and, and obviously, now Jürgen and stuff. But it, it all depends on the goalkeeper you got and your manager. But, I mean, I don't like to see too many risks taken. Um, you hey, how, did, how, stuff. how did Martinez think that you could play out and stuff on that pitch? Because, obviously, you got Rugby League playing on it half the year. Listen, we knew as lads that we weren't good enough to do that. You know, we knew as a team what our what our limitations was. Um, but, yeah, eventually it caught up with them. You know, mm. I wasn't there when they got relegated, but they got relegated... Uh, eventually, because because of that style of play, really. Um, so it, it all depends on the manager, but you've got to have the players to do it, first and foremost. You know, City have got the players to do it. Yeah, they get mm. caught and stuck sometimes, but, you know, they'll just put the medals on the table and tell you that's the way to do it, so you can't really argue. <laughs> but, I, I, listen, I like to see great, attractive football, but I don't like to see, you know, t- the players receiving it from goal kicks like, on the six-yard line and stuff <laughs> like that. I just think you're asking for trouble, um but if you've got the players to do it, these managers all get the players to do it.
1: What's what's the future look like for football? Um you touched on what? the mental health side uh, in terms of the medical, what you had and, and potentially what happens now in terms of the medical side and and the, the the more information that he's passed on in terms of mental health. What does that look like? And and secondly, what does it look like on the pitch for for football five, ten years down the line?
2: Well, I mean, social media is, you know, my advice to any player, come off social media. I I was never on it when I played and I was very conscious of that. Um, I think it's just, you know, you can use it for the good. But unfortunately, we've seen incidents over the last few weeks where it's just poisonous. It does get to you. It can get to anybody. So, you know, young lads, don't worry about social media. Come off that, just concentrate on your careers. And clubs, yeah, with the mental health clubs have got a bigger responsibility now to put things in place, regular meetings, and this is all the way through. So this is from like the ages, that you can do it from the ages of eight upwards because there's, you know, I, there's lads suffering. I, I've spoke to someone who's nine years old over the last few weeks that's struggling with mental health. So all the way through clubs, it's got to be regular mental health meetings where they can attend places, that can, you know, people that can ring up inside and outside the club because some won't want to go in now, still go somewhere else. And obviously the PFA then as well, which they are making good strides, but there's still so much to be done. Uh, but hopefully the you stigma know, the stigma's being lifted now, which uh, I think it I think it is, but it's still a long way to go. Scott mentioned that about on the pitch. Obviously the
0: biggest probably change over the past few years has been VAR. What's your what's your opinion on VAR? <laughs> not not for you.
2: No, not for me. No. I mean I can't I can't I I got asked this for the day and I, I try to think I can't remember there's there being as much uproar about before VAR about some decisions that got given or didn't given, I can't remember there being as much outlaws as there is now with VAR and about VAR. But the big thing is when the player scores, or the you know the first thing they do, and the fans is look to the linesman or look to the fourth yeah. official. Yeah, back, it's, it, it has taken that away from it. Um, I mean, I, will it stay in the game? Probably will do for a little bit yet. Yeah. But we've got to talk about. rugby Rugby have nailed it. They're, they're spot on with it. Yeah, you know, but it's take a lot of the excitement away.
0: I'm not a fan Do like, you, you know, sort of you talk about the old Arsenal back four and how sort of regimented they were. I mean, goals now are given offside for like, you know, yeah, a toenail, and, and the defenders haven't worked on that. That's just luck. Whereas the old, like, old school defenders, there'd be massive gaps in terms of them yeah. being offside. You can't, do you know what I mean? It's. I think teams, it's coming
2: because of the money in the game, then not it? It's coming because it's a business now. You know, football's a business now, whether, whether you like it or not. It's all mm. about, you know, staying up and getting money, generating money from sponsors and stuff like that. So I think it will stay for a little bit while yet, but it can't get any worse than it is at the minute. There's got to be improvements with it. And
1: and who's that one person um, you touched on the family, you touched on your old coaches. Who's that one person in the future that's going to help you get to your, uh, and achieve your goals and and hopefully achieve your predictions? Myself. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think, think you, you know, you can... you've got to want to do it yourself and and motivate yourself Uh, obviously the family's there to support you but yeah look you know if you want to do something people can help but you've got to want to do it yourself and you've got to do the main majority of it so yeah hopefully uh, hopefully I can yeah keep motivated and try and yeah do some good things Awesome awesome so just obviously to finish it wrap it all up Chris if
0: you had to pinpoint three values that's going to help you achieve what you want to
2: achieve what what would they be? Respect, um, you know, always been told, Oggy told me that, treat people the way you want to be treated yourself. Um, you know, hard work, there's, there's no substitute in anything you do. You're always, always, I tell that to all, all my lads now, everyone I speak to, always be the hardest worker in the room, always be the hardest person, at work in the changing room, and enjoy yourself. Yeah. Good good good, goodbye, them yeah. three things, and uh, yeah, hopefully, people not too long. Spot on. Um,
0: obviously, that, that, that's us, us done, Chris. Just wanted to say a massive, yeah. uh, massive thank you, mate, uh, for joining us on the Predictor Podcast. Um, oh, pleasure, mate. Cheers, thank you, mate. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening to the Predictor Podcast. For more content and a chance to win signed Anthony Joshua and Fraser Clark prizes, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PredictorPod Join us next time where we will be joined by another sporting guest. Can you predict who it will be?